For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's study, Manasseh has the terrible honor of being the worst of all the kings who reigned in Israel. Here in chapter 21, his sins are listed, but just when you think he's died and gone on to his just punishment, something amazing happens. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, King Manasseh, Hope for Us All. The book of Proverbs tells us that to have a Fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. And that is repeated quite a bit. Uh, That's Proverbs 17 and verse 21. And such will be the case for poor King Hezekiah, who we've been studying about for four or five chapters now. Uh, He went to be with the Lord. He was a good king last time we spoke together. Uh, A good man who reigned over Judah for 29 years Uh, But he's going to have his share of heartache uh, because uh, Junior does not love the Lord like Dad loved the Lord. So uh, Hezekiah's summary statement was Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was uh, no one like him among all the kings. He held fast to the Lord, did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands of the Lord. And the Lord was with him, and he was successful in whatever he did. And I would think that parenting uh, is included in being successful in what he undertook. Um, But although uh, he was faithful to to the Lord and was a good model and role role model and example, Junior, as I said, did not follow in Dad's footsteps. So let's read about how bad it gets for Junior, all right? Because Junior is now going to take the throne. Verse 1. Manasseh was, should be on the screen. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. So a very long reign. His mother's name was Hephzibah. Hephzibah. Ladies, if you are expecting and you're with child, there you go. You have a a name for you. Uh, He did evil in the eyes of the Lord following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out there in Canaan before the Israelites. And so if you're taking notes, number one, Manasseh raised in the faith. Now, uh, Manasseh was... Uh, seven years old when Hezekiah was healed of his terminal illness there at the uh, hands of uh, Isaiah, you will recall. And um, he got 15 extra years. So at 12, his son, um, his son, Manasseh, is going to be what they call co-regent. So he knows he's going to die because the Lord had already told him. So, so when, when his son Manasseh turned 12, he's the son of the commandment Bar Mitzvah. He, was, uh, he became a man of the commands. And so godly Hezekiah took him 
on the throne, as it were, and, and put in his last 10 years was dedicated to raising and training his only son uh, to be the next king. And at 22, uh, Manasseh takes the throne for reals because his dad is no longer uh, there. So, uh, so number one, Manasseh raised in the faith. Uh, now, let me show you the chart, the chart of the kings, just to show you where we are. All right, so we've worked our way all the way through uh, the northern kingdom called Israel is now no more. They've been taken away to Assyria. And uh, Judah, the southern kingdom of two states, uh, was supposed to learn from that lesson. And so we are closing in on the end of, uh, now we've got 100 years left, and that will be five, four or five chapters left. And then uh, it'll be 586 down here, B.C., when Judah falls completely. And so now uh, this chapter is dedicated to Hezekiah's terrible son. We've got a completely faithful dad, and we've got a particularly horrible son. And so back to the text, if you don't mind, Noel, thank you uh, for that. So, so number one, Manasseh raised in the faith. So generally speaking, to raise a child in the way they should go, in the end, they will not depart from the faith. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Uh, but that doesn't always uh, come out to work. That doesn't, what I'm trying to say is they will not depart, but it's not impossible for them as we see in this chapter and as we see in the scriptures and as we see in our everyday lives. And so one commentator said, uh, his name's Knapp, and he wrote, um, he said, a degenerate plant of so noble a vine. And that is so the sad story here. So according to the text, the root of Manasseh's problem was that he loved the world. And the world uh, was there. The, the, the remnants of the Canaanite culture there was still there. Even though the Canaanites had been dispossessed, and they were so wicked. You read about it, just unbelievable things you don't even say from the pulpit. Um, and so there was a remnant there. And so verse 2 says he's a follower of the detestable practices of the world around him. And, and so even though most of the Canaanites are not there, uh, there's an option there because there's still that culture of no boundaries and lewd sexual immorality, drunken festivals, rampant idolatry, wild, exciting, godless, self-serving options all around. So Manasseh had to choose. Am I going to go with the faith that my father taught me? Uh, am I going to follow the disciplined path? Or am I going to follow the detestable practices of the godless world around me? A choice that everybody has to make. And he goes with the world. And uh, at a terrible cost, as we'll see, um, you know, James chapter 4, verse 4 says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. So it's a terrible, terrible trade. Uh, now, the sin is compounded by his knowledge of the truth. So in spite of 10 years of having godly dad, who is a faithful man of God, raise him up to take his place. Uh, uh, he's also seen the miracle of Assyr the Assyrian rescue. Remember the 185,000 that were put to death miraculously by an angel of the Lord. Uh, he was eight years old. So he, he got to 
witness that. And so uh, he also has the words of Isaiah and Micah, the two prophets ringing in his ears. And so dad dies uh, at, uh, there and he's 22 and he's gonna go with the hormones over the choice of heaven. And it says here, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. Okay, let's see how bad it gets, three through nine. So Junior is gonna rebuild the high places that his father, Hezekiah, had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made the Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshiped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son, Second Chronicles chapter 33 says sons. So it was more than one. In the fire, practiced sorcery, divination, and consulted mediums and spiritists. or psychics or sorcerers or fortune tellers. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their forefathers. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites got to the promised land. And so if you're taking notes there, number two. You can put the first part of the verse up there just so we have that for some um, meditation and reflection. Uh, so number two, Manasseh, notorious sinner. You're taking notes, notorious sinner. So here's a chronicle of the specific sins. It's pretty nasty. Uh, he's gonna institute changes now. That, that godly dad is gone. You know, now the fun can begin, you know. So this guy's got uh, some reforms in reverse with a vengeance. So he's going to get really busy. He's kind of a whirlwind of destruction, spiritually speaking. Kind of reminds me of, you know, uh, you know, in an administration in a country when there's a good leader, you have laws on the books and things are going well in the country, and all it takes is the next guy to come in and with one stroke of the pen start to do away with so much good that had been established for years and years and years. But then you have that one stroke of the pen and bam, uh, you've got this junior is coming up and doing that very same thing, just one stroke of the pen. Well, it's a lot more than a stroke of a pen, as you can see. And so verse three, uh, you know, it just seems like the first evil deed was motivated by the joy and desire to have dad gone. 
Because what did he do? The first thing he does is he goes after what to, to redo what dad undid. The evil that was there, dad undi- undid it, took it down. And so he can't wait to say, I'm out from underneath my father's thumb and uh, his expectations and his God and yada, yada, yada. And I can't wait to just go in reverse what my father had done. And so, you know, Dr. Phil would have a field day with this kid, <laughs> all right, because uh, I could just hear him redoing and building, you know, all of that stuff. And so um, dad had torn down the fun party places. By the way, the place that he's rebuilding, it's the party hills. It's the hills where you go to worship, you know, and then you have the temple shrines there. And uh, it's all just sexual immorality. And so uh, he's 22. So that's the first order of business for a godless 22-year-old is to uh, put the shrine prostitutes back up on the hill. Uh, And unfortunately, many in the younger generation there in Judah uh, got behind this new, oh, yes, thankfully, the old man's gone. And now the fun is going to start again. Now, here's the list of the spiritual crimes. And by the way, it is a crime to sin. Your crime is against God. In fact, in Japan, where we spent four years as missionaries, the word for sin is tsumi, which means crime. And a sinner is tsumi no hito, means criminal. So it's the same word. So to to call yourself, hey, are you a sinner? You're asking, are you a criminal? And and that's really a a very nice, kind of an awkward translation there because you ask somebody if they're a criminal and they always say no, you know. uh, But uh, you have to tell them, spiritually speaking, you can go ahead and put the air back on if you had turned it off. Craig, thank you. Air, oxygen to the right, very good. Okay, thank you so much. Well, he went to the lights, and I was like, no, over there. Very good. Okay, so moving on, number two, the worship of the astrological signs, the sun, moon, and the stars, astrology and horoscopes on, on steroids. Somebody asked me once, you know, I, I, are horoscopes wrong? And I said, yes. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> At, additional... Altars. Oh, come on. What are you, what are you, what are the stars? The stars have nothing to do with anything except God put them there. And why would you consult the stars instead of the one who made the stars? Amen? Amen. All right, don't start me. Number three. (laughs) Then in the courtyard of the temple, he's going to, he's going to be a more tolerant uh, kind of king. So he's going to bring in other altars set up. He's going to leave the altar of the Lord, but he's going to put in altars to other gods in the temple so that yes, you can still worship the Lord, but as long as you can worship right next to that altar to another god. Uh, and yeah, just terrible. So it's just a kind of a coexist kind of mentality. Uh, one of those altars in verse 6 is uh, to Molech where he sacrificed his own children. Uh, Just terrible. Uh, Into the fire. And I could tell you, describe it to you, but it's just nasty. Um, 
And then uh, in verse 6, you have the black magic, the fortune tellers, the psychics, the sorcerers, the mediums. Uh, they all have different nuances, but generally it's all the occult. It's all about getting in touch with the other side and all of that, you know, all of that nonsense is just not nonsense. It, it, there are powers behind that. The Bible talks about that and reveals it in the New Testament that there are demonic powers that uh, masquerade behind all of those facades. So um, then in verses uh, uh, six there, he put the prostitution pole, and that's what an astral pole is. It's a sign of prostitution is welcome here. And so it's a, porno, it's a pornographic pole, and he put it inside the temple in the holy place of the Lord. Now, verses 7 and 8 qualify how terrible this is because he's just saying, this. he put it in the place where God said, God said, this is my place, and in comes the prostitution pole. That's why those verses 7 and 8 are there, to qualify what a blasphemy uh, this happened to be. Uh, in verse 9, so uh, led by Manasseh, God's people actually uh, uh, degenerated so badly that they did worse things and more evil than the pagan nations that God destroyed who uh, were in the land uh, before. Why? They threw God out and there was kind of in, in his face kind of thing. You know, the promise of staying in the promised land has been revoked there. Uh, and Judah's days are numbered. Uh, and it got me thinking about another blessed nation that has degenerated morally speaking. A place that once uh, God blessed above all other nations in the world. A place where people would worship the Lord and, and live by his commands. Uh, a country that was founded uh, in bylaws and constitutions and scriptures on capital buildings and, and that kind of place where there were Bibles and prayers in school. But I started to think about this place. Um, prayer, Bible, crosses, the Ten Commandments have been removed. I'm relating it to what we just read. Sexual immorality, sensuality is worshipped. The Asherah and Baal religion is in place. All Asherah and Baal is, is the worship of sex. That's all it is. So not much has changed there. Uh, people would sooner read their horoscopes about the nation I'm thinking about and consult the starry host uh, than the one who made them. People flock to mediums and psychics, and spiritists. They have their own television shows, and we're entertained by it. Uh, they worship the gods of money, gold, sex, pleasure. And what about the babies? Do we do that too? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Uh, 1.2 million 2014 babies were offered, not to the god of Molech, but to the god of self and convenience, 1.2 million babies. And so I didn't see much difference between this and the nation that I'm thinking about. 
what about bringing the prostitute pole into the temple? Um, well, uh, how about the churches in the land? Well, let's see. The, the Methodists, um, the Lutherans, the Episcopals, now it's okay to be sexually immoral and preach the gospel. Um, let's talk about a church where last week somebody told me they visited and they opened with a Madonna song. So if that's not bringing the Asherah pole into the sanctuary by singing a Madonna song in an evangelical Christian church, then I don't know what is. And I went online to give you an image of Madonna just to, right? That's not going to happen. I, I just had to, you know, read two chapters of the Bible to cleanse my mind, you know? At a church, an evangelical church, so, so everything in the list, every last thing has been done in this nation that I'm thinking about. So how far can judgment be from the United States of America, founded by Christians, blessed like none other, a constitution and society established on the principles and precepts of the Bible, has become infiltrated with every single one of these blasphemies, and it's only a matter of time before the consequences for such crimes uh, is brought to bear. Now, the United States is not mentioned in the Bible in the last days. Europe is, Russia is, the whole Middle East is, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Jordan, China, and the East. They're all mentioned except the United States. Where is America those years? Well, in Revelation chapter 17, there's a superpower mentioned, and it is called Babylon, the great prostitute. And she is pictured as decked out in the finest jewels. And she is pictured drunk and giving the cup of her idolatries to the nations of the world. She is the kingpin of greed and intoxication of the whole world looks to her. And the whole world buys, uh, she buys all of their stuff. And she is seen riding on the beast. She's in control of the Antichrist. And then until the Antichrist doesn't want her in control anymore and turns and destroys her with his armies, then she's gone. Revelation 17 and 18, and everybody else carries it out to the end. But the beast is finally, the Antichrist is finally rid of the one superpower that controlled everything. And everybody is seen weeping in disbelief that the great prostitute was finally done in. And their biggest concern was, who's going to buy our stuff? Who's going to buy our stuff? All right, moving on. 
you know, you came out on a Wednesday night. You ought to have something to think about. Amen? And if you're not thinking about that, if you're not talking about that in the car on the way home, I don't know what else. Verses 10 through 15. I do want to say this. These stories are not just about the demise and the degeneration and the moral decline of Judah. These things happen to a church or an individual or a nation that want to leave the living God and worship the things made by their own hands. That's just the story, 10 through 15. The Lord said through his servants, the prophets, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He's done more evil than the Amorites. Now, they're a subculture of the Canaanites. They're one of the ites that got dispossessed, all right? But they were the worst. <laughs> he, he's done worse than these guys who preceded him and has led Judah into sin with his idols. Therefore, this is what the Lord, all caps Lord, which means Yahweh, the God of Israel says, I'm going to bring such a disaster on Jerusalem because they're following him, willingly seduced, and Judah, that the ears of everyone who hear it will tingle. I'll stretch out over Jerusalem the measuring line used to, used against Samaria and the plumb line used against the house of Ahab. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes out a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and hand them over to their enemies. They will be looted and plundered by all their foes because they have done evil in my eyes and provoked me to anger from the day their forefathers came out of Egypt until this day. All right, so we've had Manasseh raised in the faith Manasseh, a notorious sinner, and number three, Manasseh, the object of God's judgment. Now, during the rebellion, God is speaking, always because God loves and wants nobody to perish. You know, the, the, the verse I always quote, Ezekiel 33, 11, uh, as surely as I live, God's taking an oath in his own name. I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their wicked and live. So that's God's heart, you know. So, but yeah, now, he, now he's speaking through these prophets and he's spoken through uh, five prophets, Hosea, Joel, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Isaiah, two, three, four, five. In these five verses, sum up what these five prophets have said. Hosea, Joel, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Isaiah. Now, 700 years is a long time to be patient. And God has said, it's been 700 years. It's been 700 years. But it is 1446 BC when they come out of Egypt. And now it is the year around, um, it is now 686 BC. So it's been 760 years of nonstop trouble. And, and, and God has been blessing them and been merciful and gracious. And I think patience is an understatement about how God has been. And so now the time, he's saying it's over. It's over. He's saying you got 100 years. 100 years, there'll be no more Judah, no more Jerusalem, no more temple there. Nor will there really be a temple there for 2,000 years. Once that temple goes, it gets rebuilt once and then it gets destroyed again. 
But the Lord says for, so he's got, uh, they've got a hundred years left. And the Lord says, the news of Jerusalem's fall, it's going to be so ugly that, P, that he's going to use three word pictures now to describe the end of Judah's life, all right, and Jerusalem. He says, number one, uh, cl- clashing symbols, clashing symbols. He's going to say, when anyone hears the story, it's going to be so shocking that their ears will reverberate with the sound. And so that's just one thing. The Hebrew word for tingle there is for the clash of musical instruments and to vibrate. uh, And it became an idiom for hearing shocking news. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, it is used in Jeremiah 19, if you're taking notes. And number two, He's gonna, the second word picture for judgment is a plumb line. And a plumb line is a, a cord that's weighted with lead on the bottom. And in this case, it was to measure vertical. If you're building a wall of bricks to make sure you're building straight up and down. And so it, the ironic thing to, to say, I'm taking out my plumb line. God is taking out the plumb line because normally it's for building straight up, right? But now it's to measure to dismantle the place. So God is going to be taking it out to carefully and in a disciplined way undo the whole thing. That's what he's saying there. And how sad is that? And then number three, he uses the, a word picture of drying the dishes. So here you've got a, a wet bowl or a plate. You turn it upside down. It's got a lot of drippy water. He says, I'm going to I'm going to wipe it out clean, upside down, shake it that there's not one drop left. Jerusalem will be a ghost town. Now you would think, (laughs) you would think there'd be some ripping of some clothes like they do, you know, throwing dust in the air or beating their chests like good Jewish people, (laughs) you know. But no, none of this. What, did, what happened when Nineveh was told? 40 days, God's going to turn you guys upside down. The king said, not even an animal will eat or drink for three days. The Assyrians. And God relented. They have the option. They hear all of this and they're like, whatever. 100 years, whatever. And then it comes. So 760 years of prophet's warnings, the Lord's pleading, God's patience, 760 years of second chances, and, you know, it just does no good. Personalized forgiveness is always an option. It's not that they can't be saved, but it's not, it's going to be, you, you can still cry out as the walls are crumbling. You can be saved. But you're not going to get to enjoy the blessing of what I have to give you while you're biting the hand that feeds. It just doesn't work that way. You know, God's open heart, always. 100%, whosoever will, always. There'll never be uh, anything you could possibly do that can keep you from really repenting and finding eternal life. But there will, one writer said, while you cannot sin your way out of genuine, genuine salvation, you can sin your way out of every good thing that God has for you and watch God systematically 
dismantle every last blessing in an effort to have you repent and restored to life in him. Uh, One commentator, last name Taylor, said, God threatens us with terrible things if we refuse to be happy. Think about that. I will destroy you if you refuse to be happy. Well, I don't want to be happy. Well, he's after your happiness. 16 through 18, let's finish up. Moreover, Manasseh also added this to his spiritual crimes. He shed so much innocent blood, murderer, that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Besides the sin that he had caused Judah to commit, besides destroying a nation, essentially, leading them in the way, they're culpable for their own sins, but he, he's the stumbling block, so that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. As for the other stuff, Manasseh's reign and all he did, including the sin he committed, aren't they written in the annals of the kings of Judah, books that we don't have? Manasseh rested with his fathers, who's buried in a palace garden, the Garden of Uzzah, and Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. Well, uh, number four, note takers, Manasseh the murderer. So what do we have? We have Manasseh raised in the faith, Manasseh, notorious sinner, Manasseh, object of God's judgment, and Manasseh the murderer. So on top of all the sinning and spiritual stumbling of a nation of people, the moral depravity, the spiritual apostasy, he's a violent thug who executed anyone who opposed him. Now, guess who he got to? Guess who he killed? (laughs) Jewish, yes, that's very right. Isaiah. Isaiah, the great Isaiah, lost his life at the hands of Manasseh, who put him in a hollowed-out tree trunk and sawed him in two. You know in Hebrews chapter 11, where it mentions being sawn in two? That's the reference to how Isaiah died. At the hands of who? At the hands of Junior, Hezekiah Junior, good father, bad son, Manasseh, the murderer. Well, one can only imagine the horrors awaiting someone like this, this notorious sinner in the, the depths of hell. But actually, it doesn't appear like he made it there because I've got a text for you. Second Chronicles 33. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. So the Lord sent the Assyrian armies and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains and led him all the way to Babylon. That is Iraq. But while he was in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and cried out humbly to the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request for help. So the Lord let Manasseh return to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Manasseh had finally realized that the Lord is God alone. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, I love that exclamation point. Finally, it was after this that Manasseh rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David from west to the Gihon Spring in the Kidron Valley to the Fish Gate and continuing around the hill of Ophel 
where it was built very high, and he stationed his military officers in all the fortified cities. Manasseh also removed the foreign gods from the hills, went back up to those hills, and took them back down, and the idol, the prostitute pole, from the Lord's temple. He tore down all the altars he had built on the hill where the temple stood and all the altars that were in Jerusalem, and he dumped them outside the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it. He also encouraged the people of Judah to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Praise God for God's grace. Amen? Come on. What is that saying? It's saying if Manasseh can get saved, you, sir, can get saved. Oh, man, I just love that. Oh, wow. Let's talk about that a little bit. So if you're taking notes, number five, Manasseh, the repented believer. Wow. The most famous, fabulous U-turn in the entire Bible, probably except the Apostle Paul. Now, when I first read that, I remember thinking, what? What? Is this, is this legit? Can God really do that? I mean, is this okay? Am I even happy? Am I happy that he's going to be there? He killed Isaiah. And he's like going to be chatting with him like, hey, bro, I forgive you. You know, it's like, yeah. He's going to be there. He's, you're going to meet him. Why? Because the Bible says, whosoever will. And that includes him. What are you going to say? You, you threw away, you tore up your whosoever will card. <laughs> when you killed Isaiah, that was it. You ceased to be a whosoever. When you tossed your kid in the fire, that's it. You're done. He's still a whosoever. And trust me, my friend, God knows alligator tears from the real deal. And the reason you know that he really repented is because he didn't just cry and he didn't just tell people about it. He did stuff. He, he, he was given some chance to redo some of the damage that he had done in life. Praise God for God being a God of grace and a God of second chances. So, here's a few observations about the surprise twist ending. Number one, this says something about the way he was raised. Train up a child in the way he should go, and in the end, he shall not depart from it. We can't press it all the way, but you can press it this far. He was raised with a godly father. He... You guys just disappear for a second. <laughs> he was raised with a godly dad. He lived in defiance of his father's faith his entire life. But he ended in great distress. Uh, and the consequences of his reckless life, he repented and served God. Verse 13, I just love this. I mean, it... it it also says something about what it takes some people to come around. 
Manasseh finally realized the Lord alone is God. Uh, but it took humiliating, degrading, threatening, scary, terrible circumstances. Uh, Assyria, by the way, who put the ring in, in his nose, they used to put, uh, they, they put the C-R-U-E-L in the word cruel, all right? No, they, they make ISIS look nice, all right? These are, are bad, terrible people, and they broke him, and that's what it took. The prodigal son in Luke 15, you know, he has to lose all his friends. He has to spend all the money. The good times are gone. Uh, everybody deserts him. He has to find a, a, a nice Jewish boy. Has to find a job slopping pigs, unkosher pigs. And he has to go into the pig pen and smell all of that and live with that and ache and ache for not only food to fill his stomach, but love to fill his heart. And then he comes to himself, Luke chapter 15 says. But it just reminds us, you know, what it takes. Uh, number three, it, this says something about the joy of second chances. Uh, one person wrote this little poem. It's not, this is just a little something I'll read to you. Wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door, never to be put on again. There is a place. There is a place. F.B. Meyer. Turn to him with brokenness of soul, and he will not only forgive, but bring you out again and give you, as he did Manasseh, an opportunity of undoing some of those evil things which, you, which have marred your past. I love that. You know, can you see him building up the, the wall? He didn't care about the security of Judah before, right? Uh, but now he wants to protect the place. He, yeah, he's a changed man. And I can just see him with the joy, you know, saying, I want to do more good now in the few years I have left than all the years I did. He removes the foreign gods on the hills. He removes the prostitute shrine in the temple, tears down all the altars. I can just see him dumping, dumping everything outside the city gates in the valley of Kidron there, where, where got the name for the nickname for hell is where he dumped all that stuff. Gehenna. It's right there. When you visit Jerusalem, there's still the valley there, and it still looks kind of desolate. And Jesus nicknamed hell as a place of smoldering fire there by using that term where he ends up dumping all of that stuff. And, uh, and we just see him, you know, doing all this good stuff, you know. Uh, fourthly and sadly, uh, this also says something about the irreversible nature of some of the damage done. Um, his son is not so impressed with his revival as with his uh, rebelliousness. So his son's going to follow in his evil footsteps, in his evil life. And there's nothing you can do about that. The nation that he stumbled never recovers. You see, that's the deal. Yeah, before you 
go on your midlife crisis and think, you know, God's going to work it all out and he'll forgive me like you forgave Manasseh. And before you have your spiritual temper tantrum and, and think, well, I'm just going to do it because I deserve it and they did this to me and all. Whatever it is that you're thinking that you're going to go and do, just know this, you may do things that are irreversible and God himself will not fix it. Uh, You'll lose the wife and the kids, gone. Forgiven, restored, yeah. But there are some things that happen when you're doing your sinful thing that you will never, ever see the the resolve in this life. Uh, People get sick and they catch diseases. And then they repent and they're going to heaven. But they're going to die from the disease they caught while they were doing their thing. The thief on the cross is going to paradise. Yes, but he still has to die on a cross. So before the flesh just says, hey, you know what? I think we've got a plan here. I think we could work something out here where you can get a little of what you really want and then we'll have God work it out in the end and there'll be a beautiful story and if Manasseh and Isaiah are high-fiving, just think what you could get away with. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Jeremiah 17, 9, beyond cure. And it's the one who thinks like that. (laughs) Watch out. Because I've had to tell the sad news to so many people. Sir, there's nothing you can do about this. It's done. You will not fix it. Jesus will receive you. But this thing, done. Be careful. Be careful. The last thing I want to say, this whole deal says something about God's mercy. <laughs> this kind of radical mercy kind of makes some, un- uh, make some believers a little uncomfortable, like Jonah. Here are the Assyrians who we're talking about. God says, I'm going to judge the Assyrians. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. So Jonah is sent to Nineveh, to the Assyrians. And Jonah doesn't want to go there because he knows God is going to be merciful. So he's running away. You know the story. He gets there and he says, 40 days and this, this man, this whole thing's going to go up. And they believe and they repent and they turn. And Jonah goes up on a hill and he's counting the days and he goes, yeah, there it is. They repented and he's counting down three, two, one. No smoke. And what does he do? He says, just like I thought. This is why I didn't want to go. I knew that we'd repent and cry out to the Lord and he'd be merciful and he wouldn't get the bad guys and the bad guys would be all, you know, high-fiving each other, praising the Lord. The last thing Jonah wanted. Except, of course, if God was like that with him. But not the bad guys. So he told the Lord, the Lord said, are you angry? He goes, angry enough to be, to die. And I, I could just hear the Lord go, well, that could be arranged. <laughs> Murderers, adulterers, fornicators, criminals. You're a whosoever until you stop breathing. And when you stop breathing, it's over. There'll be no changing then. 
But up until that last breath, you're a whosoever. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If Manasseh can repent, get a second chance to undo some of the damage and live for the Lord, experience his love and grace, so can you and so can I. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this incredible grace. We just, our minds can't even apprehend it, Lord. We can't understand it, but we receive it by faith. Thank you for being that kind of God and so willing to bless us when we take a little tiny step towards you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.